Welcome to the ARPA Animal Rescue of the Week podcast, featuring outstanding organizations around the country that are helping animals and the people who rescue them. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal rescue. In 2014, Grace Hamlin officially created Wonder Dogs, Inc., a nonprofit organization that operates solely on financial contributions and the donation of supplies. Her mission is to address the challenges disadvantaged youth face and provide them with the skills to overcome the difficulties in their lives while caring for animals starving for attention and often for food. In just four years, Grace and the Wonder Dogs have rescued 400 dogs, and in just the last eight months, They've delivered 5,000 pounds of food and have donated 100 dog houses. Hey, Grace, welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm great. Good. Yeah, me too. So I don't want to waste any time. Um, Why don't you start us off with with the name of your organization, where you guys are located, and kind of what what your purpose is. So we're the Wonder Dogs. We're in Atlanta. And our mission is um, using animals to help children find their voice, to become better advocates in their own lives. And um, after the work, my vision has now grown to while kids are advocating for animals and fighting for animal rights in the communities that they're uh, they're underserved uh, by learning to fight for the animals, they become advocates for their own life, but in turn, creating global thinkers. So for us, we look at the animal as a whole part of a community and by being a part of the community, then these kids kind of see the animals as part of this world. And then before you know it, uh, all the things that these animals have inspired us uh, had made us advocates for animals of all types, not just dogs. So that's where the vision has grown. Wonder Dog started with saving dogs in the community because there's an animal problem in the community. Um, but the g- global mission of the Wonder Dogs is to just get all kids to care about animals and see how animals inspire us every day. Yeah, I love that. So are you in the city of Atlanta? Are you in the suburbs? Tell us a little bit about what that community area looks like for you. And then I want to dive in a little bit. um, I want to dive in regarding the kids that you help. So tell us a little bit about the community first so people can get an idea. So because I moved to Atlanta and I had six dogs already, um, it was really difficult for me to find affordable housing, and uh, Atlanta is a booming market right now. So my landlord uh, had a house that he wanted protected, and he knew I was a veteran, and he knew I had dogs. So he went ahead and offered me a house at a reasonable price in a neighborhood that was more um, at risk. Um, but I've never lived in a city, so I didn't understand any of that, and I'm not too scared of much. Uh, I, I, you know, I've, I come from an orphanage. We joined the military. I have six large Rottweilers and um, pit bulls, so I, I wasn't too scared. And I'm not scared of people, so um, I was I was okay with moving into that area. But sadly, um, Atlanta has two sides. You have the very um, broadcast side of business and movies and food. I mean, we're known worldwide for all the amazing things of Atlanta, but the areas that aren't talked about are the underserved areas that are severely poor. So Atlanta is booming in business and in, and, and commercial, but we're also Georgia is one of the, is the poorest uh, states in the country. So it's like, I'm, I'm dealing with the con- con- contradictions of Atlanta. So I live in the poorer side where there's no, 
there's trash everywhere, there's stray animals running around. Um, it feels like a third world. And that's how I basically talk about Atlanta when in the community that I live in. It's unbelievable how these kids grow up. Now, when did you start Wonder Dogs? So Wonder Dogs started uh, late 2013. And we, at that time, we were underdogs. And it was just even a nonprofit. We were, I, it was just me. I was injured from a freakish accident at work. And uh, I, I saw some kids that were you know, being beat up by a local gang. And uh, this is just a summary of it, basically. I basically asked their parents if they could come in and, and help me with my dogs because there were no after-school programs. So I tried everything I could to try to f engage these kids in the community, but the community had nothing for these kids. Uh, and the few programs that are in the community, they were all overfilled. So I basically felt really bad and I also needed help with the injury. So I said, why don't these kids come in and help me start walking my dogs and cleaning up after them? And before you know it, that's how Wonder Dogs kind of started was, you know, these kids needed something to do and I needed help. And it was a perfect fit. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, with your rescue, I love that it's most important to rescue the dogs. But I think the part for me that I'm inspired by is your dedication to the next generation and teaching them about animals and the fact that they ha they can have a voice and they can change right. the world and change mm -hmm. their animals' lives, right? So right. I re that's really what I want to focus on here. And so you met these two kids and you got the consent from their parents and now you guys are a team. Correct. And so tell me a little bit about where they started with you. Were they fearful? Were they open? Were they, tell me a little bit about that and now their progression and are they mm. still with you today? Right, so I, um, I, I keep saying this has always been a spiritual journey for me because I just, just see connections in life. And one of the kids, um, his dad was a breeder. So he just loved dogs and he just was very comfortable with the pit bulls. He had been breeding pit bulls. So he was great. Uh, the other young boy, he was, uh, and Gary at the time when he started was nine, he's 15 now. He's still with our program. He's, he's an incredible wow. soul and uh, just so powerful because, I mean, you see wow. this boy that's grown into, growing into a man who loves to rescue as much as I do and now has, you know, changed his view from breeding dogs to actually saving them and, and, and just seeing that the, the breeding is not the way to go. And then uh, Dimitris, sadly, uh, his family um, was really t heavy with the gang. And uh, I just, you know, when a parent sees um, a child coming in and they see the good things they're happening, but they're worried that they're being ex kind of going to get exposed with the uh, stuff they were doing on the sideline, they, they kind of pull the kids away. So anytime kids get involved in the program and the parents feel like I'm working with police, which we do that a lot, um, mm -hmm. they, they kind of get nervous and they pull the kids away. So I lost Dimitris a year after I started because the work just grew so fast, you know? Um, but Gary with, has been with us since he was, uh, like I said, nine and going on six years, going now on seven years with me. And I'm really proud of, of him uh, and the kids that have joined since then. So we, our oldest kid is Gary, oldest in, in time with me. And then uh, he brought in some kids, so we, we can talk more about the uh, how the underdog, which was originally what the name of the program was, turned into the Wonder Dogs, which was the, pretty much the incredible work that I started seeing. These kids not only were saving animals, but they started helping us look at the community and, and the, the problems of public safety in a different way. And when we started looking at public safety in a different way, then you got more people to start caring about how animals are important in the community. And that's what these Wonder Dogs have done for me and for us is that they basically have given us a way to help save more animals by recognizing how they're growing up in, in, 
and not being acknowledged. So until we start acknowledging the kids are part of the, the equation on, on how we're going to save these animals and education is so important, I don't think we're going to be able to, to do very much, um, you know, until the city understands the, the importance of animals in the community and, in, and how children need that education about how to care for these animals. We got to break the cycles of, uh, of abuse and I don't see the education being there and we're not having that conversation yet. Yeah, I definitely nicely said, right? I, I completely agree with that. And I think the outreach and the community and the advocacy, which, you know, you seem to be focusing on, I, th I think is incredible. Um, and so when these kids come to you, tell us a little bit about how, how you're using the community, how you're funding the rescue. Tell us about some of the, the animals that you guys are saving, where they come from. Okay, so the animals are everywhere. Sadly, Atlanta has an overpopulation problem and the shelters over full. And right now, there's, there's just no stopping the backyard breeders because right now in poor neighborhoods selling puppies, even if, even if only at $25 is some income coming in, and that is really cheap for them. Um, but for us as a city, it costs a lot and um, it, it's just heartbreaking. So we have backyard breeders uh, because the Department of Ag has a really silly kind of law that says basically you are allowed to have a litter a year. And it's really hard to enforce that. So the, how do you enforce a litter a year when you allow that to happen? Um, so basically our kids come to us because of the, the kids in the program. So my kids have been with me for five years. There's nowhere where we go where you don't see kids that love animals. So for me to be, you know, say, where do kids come from? I'm telling you, you show up anywhere with an animal, that kids will come to you. You know, kids just have that passion for animals. And, and I've just been really lucky to like share that passion and know that um, I know that this is something that they will be drawn to. And it brings the best out of us. You know, the kids see an animal and you start seeing the best of them. There, you see the love and you see the cuddliness, even though that kid is really edgy and really, you know, angry and real, you know, this, this, this neighborhood makes them very hard and, and can be misunderstood. But when you put an animal in front of it, then you see what's important. And, and what you see is, is the kindness there and the potential of, uh, of a person that you weren't seeing before. And that's what Wonder does. Again, inspires me all the time because I don't think we're giving these kids a fair shake at all. But these animals are making us look at them differently. You know, it's just really heartbreaking that it's going to take um, work like this to show that these kids have value. Because right now, I don't feel like these inner cities are recognizing not. I mean, they recognize the challenges that these kids are born, grown in with the, the poverty, with the, the crime. And, and to me, the cruelty goes both ways. You know, they shouldn't be living in conditions of trash and dead animals. But when I moved to Atlanta, that is exactly what I was seeing. Uh, and what happened was, is after a year of, you know, dedicating my life to going to the streets and rescuing because I didn't know um, what else to do with the kids. All I knew was rescue and there was plenty of dogs to rescue. So um, we just started getting them off the street. And luckily, people just love what we were doing. So our neighbors... And, and this is what kind of grew our, 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 our vision is that by the kids rescuing the local animals, then you had your local neighborhoods supporting us. So we would donate towels and food and, um, and even adopt the animals. And that was pretty, pretty incredible because uh, what we learned was by the kids being like local activists and changing the, the way we look at the community, um, it got the community involved. 
So before you know it, everybody's involved in this program because it's such a great thing to get the animals off the street, to get the kids out of these gangs and doing something positive. And then you feel good because you're supporting something that it impacts directly your community. Um, but yeah, there's a downside to that, sadly, because the work was so good. We planted 200 trees. We got uh, 60 dead uh, dogs off the street. We started addressing the challenges of you know what we were seeing in these communities. Uh, all at once, the community is ripening, and then the price of housing goes up. And then before you know it, now we're being displaced. So now I'm kind of looking at the challenges I still continue to face in this, these poor communities is that when good work like ours comes in, um, how do we keep these people from being you know, displaced because of the good work that we're doing. You try to fix one problem and you create another. And and so I agree. So I'm assuming that that part of it is where you get involved with your local and state government. Is right. that is that right? And so before I get into that, because that's always one of those topics that we could spend a really long time on. Mm-hmm. Tell me tell me about you planting trees and, and what wh- how does that tie in to rescuing animals? OK, that's a great question. So um, originally it was just really simple. I wanted the kids to to see better in the community and it wasn't happening. So I, they needed something to do and I'm a worker. So we're, we're just saying, okay, let's clean it up. Let's plant some trees. Let's beautify your, your neighborhood. Just, with the organization um, Trees Atlanta, I basically wrote a letter saying, these kids should have a beautiful pathways to school. You know, cause all the sidewalks were just covered in trash. And it was just heartbreaking to know that these kids have to walk through trash to get to school. It's really depressing and um, it doesn't inspire anybody to live in those conditions. So I thought if we planted some flowering trees and flowers around the neighborhood that it would inspire, even if it's just a little bit. And if not inspire, at least raise your hope, give you a little hope, you know, cause I just think the nature just is, is, is full of inspiration. So again, um, that's what Wonder Dogs is now uh, trying to clarify is that Wonder Dogs isn't just saving dogs. It's about inspiring kids to see life and all living things that's part of our, you know, our world. And uh, there's just not enough trees in the inner city and there's not enough, you know, uh, time to slow down and appreciate nature. So I, I just, the trees had to, you know, have to be a part of the community. And, uh, and they're, you know, it just, it, it, it just inspires us and um, it goes to the greater mission of our, our impact in the world and, and how to protect it. Because right now we're, you know, we're facing global challenges. We're losing our animals and the, and the wildlife and forests are being you know, completely removed. This is a really important issue in my life. But when you see it locally, that your trees are being cut down and you see the, the trash locally, then you feel like, okay, how am I gonna have a global ch- change if I can't even, clean up the local things that are wrong with my community. So I decided to make the kids and me, and sadly it's a working program, but it's a leadership program. And it really is helpful when kids become part of the solution. So by cleaning up the the streets and planting the trees and helping the animals, and God started to think that these kids not only are learning about local, you know, how to care for themselves locally, but how to think in a greater, you know, scale of things about how the impact of local activism and service can have a greater uh, chance to address that greater challenges we face in the world. So my hope is that by the time these wonder dogs go off to colleges, they will be inspired enough to kind of look at the greater problems of the world um, while still making a local impact on their communities. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could have said that any better. No. Um, I think, I think, I just think what you're doing, right? I've I've talked to many other organizations, and and one of the pieces that always seems to come up is inspiring that next gen- generation. And I think every person and every organization has a different view on that. Right. And I think, given your background and and how you made it to Atlanta, uh, and the neighborhood that you know that accepted you and gave you an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think the the give back um, is it's just incredible, and and the fact that you're thinking even more outside the box, right? I don't think people really realize right. the impact that a tree has right, right. <laughs> on on people. Um, so I just think it's incredible what you're doing. And so in looking at your website, along with kind of doing gardening, and I know you guys kind of take these these side jobs, and as the mm, weather gets yes. warmer. <laughs> I know that's part of your program as well. And again, I think that teaches the kids responsibility, um, not only uh, for their future, but when you commit to an animal and when you commit to a responsibility, I think that follow through is huge. So I love that you're, that's an all encompassing piece for you. So I do want to kind of talk about your doghouse project um, a little bit. And I also see that you guys do some TNR stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I want to take a few minutes and just kind of let you talk about those and how those came about and and what you're doing with the kids. Okay, so that doghouse project is really kind of cool now because it really has taught me a lot about community. Um, so when the kids first came, it was April in the spring, and this wasn't a nonprofit. Um, we were just I was just needing help with you know the disability and uh, help with my animals, but you know soon we we started picking up strays while we were doing my stuff, and then that's how rescue started, and then winter started coming and it was getting cold and I'm over here like, okay, what do I do with these kids? You know, cause yeah. I can't have them outside and my house is only a two bedroom house. Um, so I started noticing that Atlanta, I've never seen this before. So I've lived in several cities. You know, when I went to college, I was in Hartford. I, my family lives in Jersey. Like I'm from Maryland. Uh, I went to, you know, California, uh, lived in Vegas but I've never seen so many people displaced. Uh, so here somehow when they get the eviction notice, they just throw all their things on the side of the street when they can't find the, you know, whatever, the opportunity to move their things or they don't have the resources to move their things. So mm-hmm. all this furniture is thrown out and it was just heartbreaking again to see, you know, just such waste. So uh, we didn't have any funding and we didn't have any materials. So I went ahead and just said, well, let's turn that dresser into a doghouse. And now it wasn't, I mean, it was fun because, you know, the kids got to use the saws and the drills and that's all really that matters. Um, but it it, um, it created a really kind of solid doghouse, which was really difficult to move. But it was kind of funny, the learning through the process of the doghouse. Um, but it wasn't a problem to come up with it because, uh, like I said, if you look behind your yard, you're going to see a dog that's living in a house that's inadequate, completely inadequate. And that's what the kids did for me is start making me look at problems. So uh, I said, well, let's go build that dog, a doghouse. Well, we built that dog, a doghouse. And somebody said, hey, I need a doghouse. And before you know it, my, you know, we all need a doghouse. So right. that was easy. The dog, That doghouse project could keep us busy year round um, yeah. because <gasps> it's such a need. Um, so that's how the doghouse project came. But What's great about the doghouse project is that it grew into the bigger picture that we keep talking about community and, and, and public safety right now is that when I delivered, when we delivered these dog houses, we were seeing the trash, the dogs on chains, you know, it's illegal in Atlanta to chain your dog, but it wasn't being addressed. So even though it's illegal, it's not uh, being, 
it's not d- sure. d- this practice. So um, I just started taking pictures and I started looking at my before and afters and you know, the kids are going out there with raking and trying to teach them about, hey, you got to pick up this poop. Your dog's going to get sick. It's going to get warm. It's like, it was just realizing how much they didn't know on how to care for these animals. And then uh, it got so overwhelming because some of the people that we built dog houses for were doing some major illegal activity. And when we knocked on the door and they basically said, screw off, you know, we don't want mm-hmm. your stuff. Get off my property. I know who you are. Like, they all think that I'm a cop because I'm out here working with the kids and helping with the animals. And sometimes I had to call animal control when the situation was just so disheartening that I, you know, I felt like this animal truly needed greater help than a doghouse. Um, but that help didn't come for, for three years. I called animal control, you know, and, and I'm telling you, if I'm calling animal control, it means that I can't fix the problem with my dog food, with our hay, with our, you know, with our doghouse. When, when wonder dogs can't fix the problem, we're saying we need help. And wonder dogs usually don't, don't need help. We are doing really good work uh, without the police and without animal control. But when we do ask for help, it really needs to be jumped on because something is wrong. And that's what happened is, is that for the first three years, when we were seeing the true cruelty of, of these animals suffering, um, I was getting no response. The response was, is this is all over. Like, sorry, you know, we have, we're overpopulated. Uh, we have other problems to worry about. And I'm over here like, but what, what message are you sending these kids seeing these dogs dying in the backyard, freezing to death on these chains? You know, what message is, is you, are you saving that dog in the shelter more important than the cycle of abuse that continues to practice in our backyards? So we, animal control and I fought and fought and fought. And I mean, everything by their definition of what an adequate dog house was and what the law is saying, I was just having such a hard time. Um, so finally, after, like I said, two years of seeing such suffering, I mean, we were just, we're in the front lines. So always ahead of the problem. And, um, I just had a, I finally got tired of it and said, look, animal control is not helping me. I go to the city and they're saying, well, it's not our job. We contracted it out to, you know, Fulton County. These are County services. It's not our job in Atlanta to deal with the animal problem. So I basically started ripping my hair out because I just couldn't fix the problem. You know, it was just, it's in our backyards and everybody's telling me it's not their job and everybody's telling me that it's prevalent. So it's, it can't be fixed. And I didn't know how to approach it. So, um, I went ahead and I was attending uh, Animal Law Source, which is an incredible um, nonprofit that teaches us about animal law, which 25 years ago wasn't even existent. Nobody was fighting for these dogs and, and animals in, in Georgia. So this wonderful woman uh, saw the, the need and she started animal law practice. And she basically started teaching us, you know, teaching people uh, how to recognize and identify, you know, neglect, cruelty, and, and how to basically address change in Georgia. Um, she was so inspiring that I went ahead uh, two years later and asked her to help me with Atlanta's problems. And I went ahead and listed to her. I was saying, you know, they're living in trash. They're, you know, the houses aren't adequate. There's no response from animal control. The city is telling me it's not their problem. I'm like, there's going to be, I, and I was saying to her, I'm like, I, I'm scared that a kid is going to die. And uh, sure enough, um, six months later, a child did die. Because that's how bad the problem was with the animals on the chains breaking off and killing people's dogs, uh, with the dogs running all over the communities. I mean, people just let their dogs out. There's no, there's, there's just so much going on with, with, with these communities that's been just overlooked. Nobody's been addressing that the problem now is just so common 
that how do you fix a, a problem that, that has become common practice? So allowing your dog to just run astray and pee and urine all over the city is common practice. Dogs on chains, common practice. Uh, dogs dying and suffering in, in these you know, communities. It's, it's every day. Um, but nobody's going in there saying this is wrong. This is not acceptable, you know, right. and making examples of that so that we, you know, so we can learn. And right. uh, so she went ahead and said, you know, Gracie, what looks like is that you need a task force. And, um, and what, what that entails is you kind of working with the city to identify the failures of the laws and, uh, and trying to raise the quality of life for these animals, which by us fighting for the quality of life of animals has improved the quality of life of these kids and improve the quality of life, the community. And that's what I'm dead certain on is that by helping. So what my, my, my pitch to the city is, is that like Gandhi, when he was saying the laws, you know, are, are, or the, the treatment of animals is a representation of our society. Uh, I took that and I also took my passion. I wanted to be a police officer and knowing that the FBI uses um, animal cruelty to profile killers. I, I put those two things that I care about very much and said to the city, you can tell the health of a community by the way that these animals are living. And right now, my areas of highest cruelty has the highest crime numbers. So let's look at that. And, uh, and, and the city started listening a little bit. Our councilwoman, Carla Smith, got really behind my work. And I really started showing her how the gangs were denying our services and how they were creating such a community problem. Uh, when when the obvious problem is animal cruelty, an officer now has probable cause because the law says it's against the law to tether. And I say just these things just kind of kind of started falling in place for us. And the first thing that we asked for is the animal cruelty um, task force was that um, we get code enforcement. You know, code enforcement is supposed to keep our communities clean and address uh, things that are wrong in our backyards. But what they didn't include in that picture was animals. So when, it, so when I had a case of a dog that was almost in death bed, I have a video of this. I need to really kind of pin it, pin it because the kid and I were delivering a doghouse. This is a dog that was uh, living without a doghouse and in really poor conditions. And we tripped over a, a skull of a dead dog. I mean, it's all on video. And I was just so upset. And the lady's like, yeah, code enforcement was here. And, uh, and they said that, you know, I'm being cited for the trash. And I'm like, well, what about this dog? Did they say anything about your dog? You know? And she said, no, no, they, they don't care about the dog. And that's exactly what I saw mm -hmm. from there was like, oh my gosh. So they cared about the trash, the broken windows, the chip paint, but the dog on a chain uh, without adequate shelter and uh, starving to death because most of these dogs are skeletons because nobody's caring for them. Um, they didn't see it. So the first thing we started on was advocating for code enforcement to be trained on recognizing animal cruelty, which was really kind of cool because now we have another ally to work along with the community to kind of address. If you see somebody in your backyard, a lot of people are scared to call animal control because most of the time these problems are connected to the, the communities that you're moving into they're unsafe they feel unsafe so it's really hard for them to report animal suffering because they you know somebody moves in their neighborhood and animal control starts are showing up they know that the new neighbor called in that call but that neighbor gets right. scared so they don't call so what we right. try to do is say well call code enforcement and tell them that you see all these problems because like i said before we've done this so much that it usually every time we have the animal suffering there's trash all over the, the whole it's beer it's cans it's it's trash the whole property is trash so right. now the code enforcement involved now they are trained to say oh i see that dog it's not living in proper conditions they call animal control so it's you know it's getting that getting more people involved in the problem is now what our mission is 
with the wonder dogs. You know, that's what these kids have done is bring more people to look at the problem and, and help these animals. But it's not, we're saying we're not there just to help these animals. We're there to help this community. Because when you start helping these animals, you really get to unravel the real challenges of that community. So the doghouse project, um, with the, the we got the code enforcement in place. And then we said, you know what? Every city, major city has an animal cruelty liaison. We have such a problem here in Atlanta with cruelty. We need an animal cruelty liaison. So the, the councilwoman went ahead and, and advocated for us to get that officer. And sure enough, we got Officer Soldner, who's an incredible national nation, uh, national hero uh, with her training with officers in Atlanta about animal cruelty and incorporating uh, animal um, protection into their training. You know, even even just how to handle a dog that's, that's coming at them. A lot of dogs get shot in the line of duty because police officers are scared of them. But I also have a lot of young African-American kids that are shot by officers. So I'm partnering and in, in bridging conversations that need to be had about why are officers shooting dogs and why are officers shooting young black kids? And I'm dealing right. with both of them. So all of this has kind of come at me and I'm kind of kind of all address it and kind of sit us all down and have a conversation about what to not be scared and not right. to judge these kids because of the way because of the where they're living. So right. to me is why don't they clean it up? Because a lot of the public safety issues come with how you're neglecting this community. You're not picking up the trash. You're not planting the trees. You're not caring about these kids at all. No after school programs. All that neglect, and, and that's what I call it, neglect of these communities is now being given to the kids. They're being neglected and they're growing up in, 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 in conditions that they are not American way. I feel like this side of town is third world. I don't think it's America. You know, I feel like the America that I came to is beautiful. It's clean. But I was very fortunate to go from a third world country to, you know, living in Maryland uh, with an attorney and a family that loved law and, and taught me that passion for standing up for justice. And um, that's what we're doing. That's what Wonder Dogs is doing is teaching these kids to stand up for themselves by standing up for these animals. And, and we're learning so much about community and what it means to be a part of this community. And by being a part of the community, it makes you a, it's just um, an integral piece, you know, that, that we're missing. These kids, this, their voice needs to be a part of the conversation when it comes to helping animals. Yeah. I love everything that you stand for. I love your background, what you're doing, um, and the fact that it's about the animals, but it's not only about the animals. Um, you're impacting the next generation to do even better to do more right. to to not be afraid to have those conversations mm -hmm. because when you talk about local government and you know police force and mm -hmm. that can be all very frightening as adults and you know sometimes if you're not understood as a child right. um it makes it even more difficult so i love that you're breaking um barriers not only for them but with them um i think it's really important to take them through through the steps in that. So even though it took you a couple years to to kind of get the task force created, mm -hmm. it seems like now you're in a really good space and it seems like you're getting the support that you need um, and really moving forward with that. Yeah. It sounds like that's your biggest accomplishment or one of your biggest yeah. accomplishments in the last four years or so, going on five, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I I really love the story, and and I know we spend a lot of time on the dog houses too. But you guys have a TNR program, oh. and you guys do some trapping also. Mm -hmm. So TNR is really tough because uh, the kids 
they can set up the traps in the morning, but um, to get them to the office and the vetting became a problem because we have such a problem in the city, inner cities. And I know it's all over the country. So many cats are, you know, growing up in these conditions. And it's just heartbreaking because if, if we don't get it under control, you're finding them dead. And, and then sadly in these communities, they're taking the law into their own hand because they're seen as a nuisance. The apartment complexes say, if you feed these animals, you're going to get kicked out. Mm. Um, so you have to, these people are, being made to make really hard choices, which is don't be kind to animals. Uh, and then because they become overpopulated, they become victims. And we've had several, since the cruelty task force started, several real sad uh, animal cat killings uh, involving kids drowning them, uh, poisoning, uh, kicking them for Instagram uh, kicks. Um, these animals are now become a target. And it breaks my heart because we are so busy rescuing dogs and dealing with the backyard cruelty that the animals get again neglected that issue gets not as many eyes on it but these cats are growing at a population you know hundreds a, a year and they can't be con con uh, controlled uh so wonder dogs we try to help but it became really overwhelming so we we partner with an organization called snap to it she's a wonderful lady that her passion is spay and neuter and trapping and it's just so much fun to get her and the kids together because everything that i do turns into a game i don't know if anybody's out there and, and wants to help more animals, get kids involved because there is nothing cooler than setting up a trap and sitting on the, in your truck. Because it, it, it just it can happen that fast. You set up your trap, you do your drippings of the, of the food, and before you know it, this cat is in a cage. But it's exciting for the kids to see that. They know that the cat is being helped. And, uh, yeah, and we, we've spayed and neutered, trapped, and released 200 cats, which sounds like a lot. But for us, it could be so much more. But, again... Uh, you were talking about funding and and then our priorities uh we it's very difficult with all the needs that are in the community for us to be able to help as many animals as we could be helping if we had the support yeah you know funding is is always a big piece but you know i think for you guys and, and what you're doing and teaching the kids i really think if there's anybody out there that can help you guys and and support you and and donate and you know, sometimes it's not about the money, right? Exactly. It's about the resources and, you know, even a bucket of screws for the dog houses mm -hmm. or cans of cat food or, you know, I just think those things are really important. And I love that you guys are partnering with other organizations right. when you've reached your limit, right? right. When you know exactly. you can't get everything you need, you're reaching out and you're asking for help. And that's really hard as adults to do. But again, I feel like it's one of those it's one of those very valuable lessons yeah. that I think you're teaching the kids. Um, I just, I'm so inspired by what you guys are are doing and and how you're approaching this. Um, and I'm excited to to watch this grow. I do, you know, we are coming up on our time, but I definitely want to share kind of the growth with people. Yeah. Kind of, just give us real quickly where you where you kind of started um, and where you're at, where you were at at the end of 2018. What does that progression look like? Okay, so first we started with a small little bit of rescuing. We, then we started building dog houses. We started helping some cats. Uh, then we started the Animal Cruel Task Force, which was really, that's where the real change started happening, was we got one officer uh, cruelty liaison, then she was able to get another officer. Now he's an investigator. With a year of having them two in place, the city of Atlanta chief recognized it, whoa, you're right, this, there is a connection between animal suffering and crime because we've been putting away murderers, uh, guys on warrants, stolen vehicles. I mean, the things that have been uncovered since these two police officers have been on the force has been very promising and got me very excited 
to where I, uh, I met uh, a gentleman who thinks that we need to have a conversation with the sheriff's department now. So if the country and the city isn't changing fast enough, the law enforcement is definitely listening to us. So I'm excited because now we get to speak to the sheriff's department and continue to emphasize to them how helping animals and recognizing animal cruelty in communities can actually be a very beneficial tool for officers to have. Because like I said, it's, there's nothing more obvious than animal sufferings in communities. And when, when, when you kind of understand that and you go to just be helpful to that animal, you could uncover something really nasty from animal, you know, suffering to child abuse, to domestic violence, to, you know, who knows what, it, where that road leads to. But that's what this work has done is to get us to start thinking about how can helping animals help us see greater issues in a community. And if law enforcement is listening to us right now, that's what's making me really proud is that these kids are sharing their lives and stories and upbringings with law enforcement, which again is bridging that conversation. I'm excited about, you know, I was telling my board yesterday about how, you know, I care about animals and worry about their dogs being shot, but I also worry about my kids being shot. I'm like, but I love seeing most of my pictures have kids with police officers that we work with because when we have to report animal cruelty, my kids know Officer Amy. My kids are trained and taught to call animal control, call, uh, talk to the police. They know how to go to their council person. They know the council person. We're friends with the representatives are, of our state. And hopefully by the end of the year, the governor will be listening to us too. That's how impactful our work is, is that we feel that because the country is going in such a way that everything seems political to us, the Wonder Dogs, we feel like there's no politics in right and wrong. And these kids are teaching us every day that these animal issues should not be a partisan issue or bipartisan issue. It should just be right or wrong. And uh, if we could get them to listen to what we're seeing, I think that any human being would do the right thing and not turn everything so political. So I'm really excited about that. And in in turn, this, the Fulton County, um, County has given us a building, a health center, because of our work with the kids. Uh, they really see how the positive work of these kids being engaged in their solutions in the community. They went ahead and gave us a, a health center in a neighborhood that needs a lot of help. Uh, there's a lot of challenges there, but we are ready for it. You know, we know that the work works. Uh, we just needed the opportunity to have a house for the animals and for the kids. So right now we're only engaging 10 to 15 kids with the center. Uh, when it's running, we're hoping to engage at least 30 wonder dogs. That's a big, big, big jump. And then a hundred kids from the neighborhood. So the center is going to be a safe space for kids. Uh, they don't engage with the animals till they make that choice. That child then chooses to uh, do their hundred hours of community service. Again, we partner with other organizations where other adults get to work with these kids and get to kind of get a better feel of who they are, what their passions are, you know, because not every kid is going to want to be working with the animals but there's something for them, whether it's jobs or rescue or with the center, we're gonna have vet tech program where the kids are working with the veterinarians to provide vet services for a community that doesn't have anything in place like that. So people are gonna have a place to go to to get the dogs annually checked, to get the annual shots, sign up for spay and neuter, get their dog food, uh, sign up for dog houses, and then a way for a community to come together and, um, and be a part of it. And that's what's really exciting. The center is gonna be a hub for anybody that cares about these kids and these animals and how to inspire their own children to do good work. I 
absolutely love that. And one of the things that I always like to ask is, what does that future look like? I don't have to ask that since you just <laughs> gave it to us. Um, I think that's so fantastic, um, the progression that you've made and and the relationships that you have with the um, with the city mm-hmm. and, and the support now that you're starting to get. I think it's incredible. And again, I, I really look forward to seeing how this progresses. I would be so mad at myself if I didn't ask this last question <laughs> because I never miss it. Okay. Everybody has a favorite rescue story, and I want to know yours. Honestly, that that's a really hard to answer because, like, if you see our work in the last um, month, we've picked up two emaciated, starving case of dogs, um, dogs on chains that were relinquished, um, and they are now, ha- you know, getting fat and healthy and happy. Um, we're helping a, a, a Jack Russell right now because the owner sadly was displaced and he's had him for nine years. And um, for this gentleman, okay, so let's let's use that story. So this story happened this week. A Jack Russell was um, surrendered. Uh, the guy found us through a friend. I don't know how these people find us, but let me tell you, uh, in the inner city, you don't need a big microphone. To, to network what your services are. We are found from all pockets of the communities. And this gentleman uh, reached out to us and said that he was he lost his home and he couldn't take his dog. And that's a really hard thing to do because I now have to take away somebody's dog to help him. Um, and then the community outpour was like, what can we do to help him? So everybody's always willing to help the Wonder Dogs find, you know, um, how, uh, home deposits. Um, security deposits for their pets. People in the community come together to help these people because they're seeing the challenges. But by the time we got to this gentleman, um, he he had given up as far as like knowing that he wasn't sure where his life was going to end up, you know, because he's older, he's sick, but he wanted his dog to have a better life. And he trusted us with his dog. And right now his dog, uh, who's a beautiful Jack Russell, is in a loving foster home and has a, a potential adopter on Saturday. Now, when I started this story, it really broke my heart because I felt like I was taking a dog away from a, a gentleman, you know, and we tried really hard to get him back, but he had signed a lease and he, in his head, after a month of looking for a place for his pet, uh, he was just broken. And But when he met us, he just saw the kids with his dogs and he just trusted us and knew that his dog was going to have a good life in spite of the challenges that, you know, they were ahead. He knew, he just trusted us. And, and, and to me, um, to be able to go back to him and tell him that, you know, he's probably going to be able to visit his dog in his lifetime anytime he wants, uh, to be able to tell him that you made the right, the best decision. You put your pet in before yours. Um, that, that inspires me and, and also kind of breaks my heart, but at the same time know that there are good people out there and their animals are put first instead of what we're normally always seeing, which is so many animals just treated as property. And that's the future of Wonder Dogs is, is if we can inspire people to understand that these animals are feeling beings. And my kids are working so hard to do that because they can understand why we're still labeling animals as property in this country and in the world when we are very much aware that they have feelings and they are very much connected to us as we are to them. Yeah, I mean that's it that's a great story. Um, you know, and and so often I hear the stories that I hear are they start off heartbreaking, right? They emotional mm-hmm. and physical damage and in, and in this case, um he had a great life, mm-hmm. right? Yep. This dog had an amazing life and and 9 years with the same owner and yep. that's all really incredible, but at the same time I there is a sadness in that in that, right? In this 
gentleman had to get, uh, that he was displaced. Uh, and having to give up an animal of, of nine years couldn't right. have been easy. So that's the sadness in that. But I love the fact that he met you guys and saw the kids with him and and just felt comfortable. And, and that that honestly speaks volumes. Um, so I think that's incredible. And thank you for sharing. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, Grace, um, is there anything, I mean, we talked about so much, and I feel like I could talk to you for another two hours. Um, but is there anything else that you just want to share with the listening audience before we wrap things up? Uh, don't underestimate the underdog and always look at kids as a way to help your cause because you share your passion with a child. That is like the most important thing that you can do. I'm, I'm saying that kids are such good listeners and they really want to be engaged. So I don't be dismissive of children and, um, just continue to love them and teach them to love animals. I couldn't have said it any better. Thanks again, Grace, for, for joining us. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dubert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.